You're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. For more sermons or information about our church, please visit ktnnaz.org or like Ketchikan Naz on Facebook. All right, that's an old school song, um, just a portion of it this morning. We are talking about the topic that most pastors don't want to talk about. We're talking about the topic that when pastors stand up at the pulpit and see guests when we talk about this, we go, the Lord must be doing something because this isn't normally the topic that um, guests like to show up for. But we are going to handle this topic unashamed this morning because God's Word talks about money. And so it's my job to tell you the truth about what God's Word is on money. This morning we're going to be talking about stewardship as we have for the past couple weeks we've been talking about stewardship um, all the things that we've been entrusted with, right? We're learning that being entrusted with something is literally taking your earthly resources and leveraging them for kingdom gain. That's all stewardship is. God entrusts you with something, so then you leverage it for kingdom gain. How can you take what he's given you and make disciples with it? How can you take what he's given you and win souls for the gospel? How can you take what he's given you and somehow make fruit in the kingdom with the help of the Holy Spirit? So we've talked about time, right? Um, let me back this up a little bit. It was mentioned Wayne earlier, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We've talked about that for the last couple of weeks, how scripture is literally filled with the idea that mankind was created to bring glory to God. We are created in his image. We bring glory to God. And then beyond that, we're to enjoy him. It's not just that we bring him glory, but he is good, and we get to enjoy him and his blessings and his presence and the fellowship of his people. This is a good thing. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And the ways that we glorify him and enjoy him are by taking the resources that he has given, him, given to us and stewarding them effectively. We find we have happier life when we live according to God's will for our life than our own will. Um, so therefore this, stewardship, intentionally leveraging earthly resources for kingdom gain. We talked about time, that God is a holy creator, man is sinful, and Jesus brought us back from the depths of sin, and he paid that as a high price. It was his own life that he paid to bring us back from the depth of sin. We also know from scripture, Psalm 90, that we have a limited amount of time on this earth to serve God. So with that limited amount of time that we have, that time that we've been entrusted, we must leverage that. Every opportunity Leverage it for kingdom gain. To manage your schedule daily, weekly, monthly, hourly, minutely, secondly, maybe, for kingdom gain. Secondly, First Peter last week we learned that um, we've been entrusted with talents. Spiritual gifts, practical talents, things that we're good at and like to do. God's given those things to us so that we can help build the kingdom. Jesus is our example. He is our motivation. And he gives gifts to build the kingdom. Therefore, leverage your gifts. What are you good at? What do you like to do? You've got the gift of power tools or kid wrangling. You're really great with administration or you're great at teaching. These are all things that God uses. And we looked at some of the scriptures that talked about that last week. Today, we are going to talk about treasure. Time, talent, treasure, truth. Right? I try to get the, all the T's in there like every good pastor. You try and get the, the thing that sounds good, rolls off the tongue. We are going to talk about treasure Today, Now, a few disclaimers before I begin. Um, first and foremost, Scripture says, and we're going to read this today, that God is generous to us, ultimately generous. 
and we are to be generous because of and out of his generosity towards us. We are generous because he was generous first to us. We love because he first loved us. We give because he first gave to us. That's the idea here. Scripture tells us that we are to be stewards of the things that he has given us, and one of them is treasure. So here's the things that I want to say, disclaimer. If you are a member of this church, and you are a Christian, and you love Jesus, and you call this place your home, um, then you need to know that this entire sermon is for you. Everything in here is God's word to you. So wrestle this out with God this morning. If, however, you're not a believer, you don't have a church home, you're not certain about Jesus, then some of the things we're going to talk about, tithing in specific, are not going to apply to you. So when you hear me as a pastor at the pulpit say, God would like you to be generous with your money to the church, I want you to know that if you're not a believer, I'm not speaking to you. God's word is not speaking to you. The rest of the sermon, when I talked about practical advice on financial stewardship, budgeting, things like that, that's just good stuff for anyone, believer or not. And I really hope that God's word will bring you wisdom and insight on how to manage your own finances and the like. So if you are a guest with us this morning, please understand that. Secondly, it should be stated clearly that while I am the pastor, I am up here preaching to you on money uh, because it's in God's word. You should know that even though I'm here and I'm the pastor, I do not know who gives what in this church. I don't want anyone to have a hindrance before this sermon begins in their spirit that thinks that I am the pastor that gets up and knows who gives what because I don't. I've chosen not to know because I'm a man and I don't want to be partial. So I choose not to know. Now, some of you may be thinking, but he signs the year-end giving statements. Yeah, well, I cover up the identifying information. I don't want to know who gives what. I just want to preach the word of God to you. So let me remove that stumbling block from your heart this morning. Also this, money is a sensitive issue, right? It shouldn't be. Um, you talk about money with your spouse, I hope. Um, you talk about money with your kids, I hope. Um, they talk about it with you, I'm sure, right? Um, you spend money regularly. Hopefully, you're saving money. It's equally important, if not more so, to talk about money at church than it is to talk about money anywhere else. It's not a dirty topic, but some of you, and even myself as I prepared this message, um, might leave this sermon today feeling angry or convicted or guilty or prideful. I would caution all of you, and myself included, um, to listen to and heed the words of Scripture this morning. Receive the word with joy that the message is God is good and generous, and he calls us to be responsible in all the areas of our life, not just time or talent, but also treasure and truth, which we will talk about next week. Um, if you feel um, angry or you feel um, prideful or you feel concerned or you feel disgruntled about what you hear this morning, I would say that perhaps God is trying to work something out in your life regarding this topic. If it means a change in your life, then simply this, be obedient to God and change where he wants you to change, whether it's stewarding your time better, your talent better, your treasure better, or anything else that he's entrusted to you. You need to listen to what the Lord says. Jesus himself taught on money a lot. 
In fact, one quarter of Jesus' teachings were on money, which means if I am to do as Jesus did once a month, I would talk to you about financial stewardship, right? One quarter of Jesus' teachings to his disciples were on financial stewardship. So once a month, I should talk to you about financial stewardship. Now, I won't do that because, well, I've got other things I'd like to say from you from God's word. But it will be spoken regularly. I will teach from it at least twice a year because it's important. And I will mention it regularly right before we give our tithes and offerings as a reminder of God is generous and why we give, remembering of the things that we teach about a few times a year. There are 800 passages in the Old and New Testament that talk about money, about working hard, about making money, about spending money, about saving money, about investing money, and all of the things that have to do with money. All of that to say, when it comes to the issue of money, it is a, in many ways, a key indicator about your spiritual life and where your priorities lie. This is a huge indicator about where you are in relationship to God because it's one of the biggest idols that the American United States folks have. So we're going to bust into scripture this morning. I'm going to stop giving disclaimers, and we're going to start reading the word of God. And we're going to hear what it has to say to us, and then we're going to apply it with joy this morning. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is simply a passage on generosity. This is a passage that should fill your heart with joy because God is generous. So much more than we even think. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15. It says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you the act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet he for your sake became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at that present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, and there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much has nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Not your typical financial stewardship passage, right? Where's the ten talents, five talents? 
one talent. Well, that's next week. We'll get there, but it's not about finances next week. It's about something else. Today we're talking about finances. And the first thing that you need to know in this passage, if you look at verses 1 through 4, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been among you in the churches. There was affliction, but there was joy, and there was generosity that flowed out of that. They gave according to their means and beyond their means, and they begged for the opportunity of helping the saints. Verses 1 through 4 there. See, what we can learn from this is generosity, financial stewardship. It's a matter of devotion, not dollars. This needs to be stated right up front. This is a matter of devotion, not dollars. Financial stewardship is a matter of where your heart is, not where your pocketbook is. This is not about dollars and cents. This is about worship to the one true living God who gave his life for you on the cross. But the first question always asked, and if you're honest with yourself, it's probably the first question you ask when you started learning about this, or maybe it's the first question you thought about this morning when you heard we were going to be talking about financial stewardship and tithing. The first question to most people's hearts is, should Christians tithe? Well, how much? How much should I tithe? What's biblical? What's the biblical tithe? Um, this, the bottom line of this question is um, sinful. What this really question, what it really reads like is this. How much money do I owe to God to get out of here with a clean slate? That's what that question is. How much should I tithe? That's the, that's the answer. Um, <clears throat> how much money do I need to pay God to walk out of here without guilt? That's the question that American Christians ask themselves. And that's a sinful question because it's rooted out of dollars, not devotion. The correct question we should be asking is, how much of God's money should I actually keep for myself? There's a really big difference between those two questions. How much do I need to pay to get out of here without guilt? Versus, God, how much should I keep um, for myself? Because you've been generous with me and you want me to live comfortably. You want me to have my needs met. But beyond that, this is all your money. Two different questions, two different heart attitudes. One is corrupt. What's the bottom line? What do I owe? The other is one of devotion and worship. See, in the Old Testament, there was something called a tithe, right? You're familiar with the word. The word technically means a tenth, um, a tenth of your gross income. This is where we get the idea of tithing. And in the Old Testament, um, the tithing system was drastically different than how we understand it in our church system today. Today, it's a tenth off the top of your gross income is what the church would tell you a tithe is. Um, in the Old Testament... A tenth of your gross income would go to the Levites. That's the pastors and the priests in the Old Testament. That would fund the ministry uh, of those uh, in the day. In addition to that 10%, another 10% off your gross would go towards festivals and feasts and holidays. So if you're keeping track, that's 20% of your gross income going to tithes and offerings. In addition to that, another 3.3% would go to the poor plus gleanings from your field, like the story of Ruth. So now you're up to 23.3% off your gross income. In addition to that, there were tithes and offerings that would come when needs arose, like funding the temple being built, or um, special offerings for orphans who had no shoes, or these things that come up in the life of the body. 
the average Old Testament tithe is 25 to 27% of the gross income. It's pretty hefty, isn't it? It's a lot of income. Some of it was not dollars, though. Some of it was actual physical livestock. It was still wealth to them. That was still treasure. That was still what they had income, right? They had 10 lambs born to them, 10 income of gross, you know, and one lamb back, right? Okay, this is how it works. So don't just necessarily think about dollars. When we talk about treasure, we're talking about all of the possessions that God has given you. Everything you own. That's your treasure. Now, in the New Testament, it doesn't speak about tithing in terms of give one of your ten cows and one-tenth of your gleanings, 20% of your gross income. It doesn't talk about tithing in the detail that it did in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, generally speaking, when it talks about tithing, it talks about it negatively. Can anyone think of that passage? Jesus is talking about the Pharisees. He says, the Pharisees tithe, they tithe out of their spice rack. They're so uptight, those Pharisees, they want to cross every T and dot every I. They got ten sprigs of dill, they give one dill. They got ten seeds of coriander, they give one seed of coriander. They are so uptight to the letter of the law, they want to make sure they pay their bill to God and get out of there without guilt. That was a matter of dollars to them, not devotion. They weren't worshiping God. And Jesus saw that, and he called them on it. You brood of vipers, you tithe out of your spice cabinet. You look holy, but that's not holy. It's a matter of dollars to you, not devotion. You don't love me. You're paying a bill. And God is so much more beautiful than that. Generosity is what God gave us, and that's how he expects us to live. The New Testament speaks clearly about giving in very few locations. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are probably the most clear. And we read a portion of 2 Corinthians 8, and I would encourage you to read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 this week because it talks about the generosity of God and the giving and the circumstances by which we give. A little history. Macedonia, a little region in the early church region, um, they were, in this passage, as it says, under extreme poverty. Picture this. Gas prices are off the charts. Okay? They are strolling around in gas-guzzling camels. Okay? Um, whatever, you know, it's an analogy. <clears throat> Their housing market tanked. They were unemployed. They were at war. Things were very difficult for these people. They didn't have enough money to put food on their tables. They were struggling. Yet, Scripture says, while they were poor, out of their joy in Christ and their poverty, they were generous. And there were three things, Paul says, that marked their generosity in giving. It was cheerful. It was regular, and it was sacrificial. Cheerful meaning they were glad to give to God. They loved God most. They cared about God. They were devoted to him. Sacrificial, they felt it. They had to make lifestyle adjustments. For some of you um, in this day and age, 10% um, 
might not be a lifestyle adjustment. Can we be honest? 10% off the top of your gross, you might not feel that. That's not sacrificial. Um, for some of you, um, we think about situations like this. A single mom raising five kids, house is upside down, just lost a job, car broke down. We hear about these things, right? 10% might kill that family financially. Generosity there might look like the widow's might. In terms of 1% might be the most generous thing because that's creating a sacrificial need in the budget and regular. It's not just that pastor preached on it and for two whole weeks, I'm going to be generous and sacrificial. And then after two weeks, you forget about it. Generosity looks like this. It's regular and it's sacrificial and it's joyful. God loves a joyful giver, right? Now, in saying this, I want you to understand that when we talk about giving in the new covenant, 10% is not the ceiling by which we hope to attain one day. 10% is not the place that we get to and cap out at and say, done my job, God, I'm at 10%. Good for me. Good for you for blessing me that I can get to 10%. Yay, God, go team. 10% is not the place that you want to cap out at. 10% is the place that we are supposed to start. 10% is the foundation by which we say, now from here, God, how much more generous can I be with the things that you've entrusted me? How much more can I give to the kingdom of God and to the people in need around me? It's not the ceiling we attain to, it's the floor that we start at. That said, there are circumstances where 10% is not capable in certain people's budgets, certain times and seasons of life. That's why we go back to the generous and joyful, sacrificial and regular. God knows your heart. There are times that you can't give financially. You can give in time, right? You can give in talent. God sees your heart. He knows your desire. He loves a joyful giver. But we get caught up in dollars, and it's not about dollars. It's about devotion. So we teach generous, sacrificial, regular, cheerful giving, and it's less about the percentage and more about the worship, right? We want to get to that foundation of 10% and go higher because we don't want to be greedy with what God's given us. But we talk about generous, sacrificial, regular giving. So maybe we say this. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, um, you can't serve two masters. And this is where we start to get poked at when we hear messages on stewardship and tithing, Right? Because we go, well, I like God and I like money. I'm not serving two masters. They're both good, right? I love God. I'm a Christian. I love money too. Then Jesus wants you to understand unequivocally um, you can't have both as God. You can't serve two masters. And what it looks like in society is this. I love God and I love money. In fact, I pray to Jesus all the time that he would bless me with money. So what you say when you say that is, money is my God and Jesus is the means by which I access my God. If you are continually saying, dear Jesus, I need more money. Give me, give me, give me, give me money, money, things, things, things. And you're saying, I worship money. Jesus, would you help me serve my idol? And we need to be careful in our hearts because we do that sometimes. We can't have money side by side with Jesus. Either you worship your money as God or you worship God with your money. 
Two different ways to think about it. It's the same kind of thing with the question that you ask yourself. How much do I need to pay without feeling guilty? How much can I keep for myself and use the rest to serve God? Do you worship money as God? Or do you worship God with money? And there's two different attitudes there. Tithing, giving, it's about worship. It's about devotion to God. Not how much you need to get out from under guilt, but how much you should have available to use for God's kingdom. That's what tithing and giving is in the New Testament church. That you would have a floor that you would aim to start at, given that there are different circumstances in life, but seasons like that are rare. The general principle is you give 10% to start and then manage your finances well so that you can be generous when the needs arise. Manage your finances well so that you can leverage the excess you have for the kingdom gain. Here's the second thing we need to know from verses 5 through 9. Jesus is generous towards you. This is really important. The church in Corinth gave freely from generous hearts because they knew that Jesus had generously given to them. Jesus is a generous giver. Our God is Jesus, and he's generous. He's a giver, not a taker, right? Verse 9 says that Jesus was rich. We read that in the scripture this morning. Do you guys know how rich Jesus was? Have you ever really thought about that? <clears throat> he lived in heaven, right? I mean, that's a good start, okay? Um, he has a multitude of angels serving him, right? Who doesn't want to have a multitude of servants at your beck and call? Um, what does he sit on up in heaven? A throne. Okay, that's a really good start to wealth and riches. Um, what is on his head? A crown. Crown him with many crowns. He is loaded, folks. Right? I mean, if we think about it, Jesus in heaven owns everything. All the resources on heaven and on earth and everywhere in between that we don't understand, Jesus owns it all. He is really rich. There are no financial ills for Jesus in heaven. Got it made in the shade. But he got down off his throne. He was born in a barn to a teenage mom. He grew up in a tiny rural town. His friends made fun of him. His brothers didn't like him. He worked a construction job. He was homeless for a good chunk of his adult life. And he was so poor that he paid for taxes by hoping there were coins in a fish's mouth. Jesus was really rich in heaven, really poor on earth. And this verse says that through Jesus, because he was rich, he became poor for our sake so that we could have richness in him spiritually, not financially. Can I make the differentiation for you? Jesus did not die on the cross so that you could be rich financially. In fact, following Jesus might mean that you might not ever be rich financially because your priorities are going to be his, not yours. Jesus died on the cross to give you spiritual riches, a richness that is so amazing that when you understand the height and depth and breadth of that, that he has poured out on you generously, then everything you have wants to be given right back to him. Everything you have pales in comparison to what he has already given you. 
And so you look at the car in your parking lot and you look at your possessions that you have and you go, I'm driving Jesus' car. If he wants me to sell it, I'll sell it. I'm living in Jesus' house. If he wants me to open it up to my neighbors, I will. I'm eating Jesus' food. If he wants me to give it to my neighbors, I will. These are Jesus' shoes. Someone needs shoes. Should I not give them these shoes? They're not mine. They're Jesus's. What would Jesus do? Everything we own belongs to God. He gave us generally spiritually. So we have the freedom to give physically. We are bought with the precious blood of Christ, not with wealth. And Jesus is priceless, so salvation is priceless. What this means is this. If you want to be like Jesus... You don't blow everything that God entrusts to your stewardship. You manage it well and leverage it for kingdom gain. One of the great marks of a Christian is to be a giver, not a taker, like Jesus. Are you a giver or are you a taker? And let me clarify. A giver is someone who gives. A taker is someone who takes from others or who keeps for themselves, robbing an opportunity to serve God. Don't you love the fact that Jesus didn't come to earth and say, give me this. I'll take that from you. I'm going to take these things and that. Give me, give me, give me, give me, mine, mine, mine. I don't see anywhere in scripture where Jesus was a (coughs) taker. Instead, I see this in scripture. I give life. I give love. I give grace. I give hope, I give mercy, I give compassion, I give my body, I give salvation, I give forgiveness, I give joy, I give opportunities, I give, I give. That's what he says. Father, into my hands, into your hands, I give my spirit. Jesus, at his very nature, is a giver. And he generously gave so that we could be filled with his riches, so that we could generously give. And Corinth gave first themselves to God, right? And then, out of their devotion to God, they gave freely because they looked like God in their generosity. And they had ministry because of that. So here's where we get to the rubber hits the road. We know God is generous. We know that we are to be generous because God is generous. We know that 10% is the foundation that we start at, and now we're supposed to be more generous than that, as we are permitted. We need to be ready to leverage our finances. You ready to do that? Are you ready to hold your paycheck in an open hand and say, God, what would you have me do with this? That's kind of scary. Do you trust God more than you trust anything else in the entire world? Do you put your paycheck in a closed hand and say, I need this in order to survive? Or do you put it in an open hand and say, Jesus, I need you to survive, and this can be open-handed? There's a big difference in heart attitude. Paul wants the folks at Corinth to know that desire and readiness go hand in hand. They desired to give, right? That's what the scripture says. They desired to give, but they weren't yet giving generously. So he challenged them to be complete in their desire by following through with the readiness, right? So you might have all the desire in your heart to give. In fact, your spiritual gift might be generosity and giving. You might have the heart of a giver. But if you do not manage your budget, your income, your finances on a day-to-day, 
You may not manage that, steward that well. When it comes down to it, your money's going to disappear. You're going to squander your spiritual gift, and the people that needed your generosity aren't going to get it. You're robbing God of some glory in that moment. We need to um, combine our desire with the preparedness, the readiness to give. We need to be able to, as Christians, anticipate that the need is out there and prepare in advance our budgets to meet the need, right? We can't just accidentally have money on hand when our neighbor's house is falling through the needs and they need a mortgage payment. Wouldn't it be great to step in with a non-believing neighbor who's about to lose their house and you say, let me pay your mortgage for you this month. God was generous to me. And he loves you. And he's generous to you. And I'm supposed to demonstrate God's love for you this way. Have a mortgage payment. What would that do to a neighbor who doesn't know the Lord and is in a desperate circumstance? But you can't give like that if you haven't prepared ahead of time. You might have the desire, but you might not have the ability. Stewardship at its base level. Managing your resources well enough so that you can match desire and readiness and be generous when the needs arise. But how do you become generous with God's money when you struggle to pay your bills or when there's something you really want that's really cool, that's really expensive, right? Um, when you have a mortgage that might be upside down or you've got life insurance and college funds, how can you ever match desire and readiness? It seems like in this world it's really difficult to get ahead even to break even at times, especially when the economy tanks and all we hear about is the recession. This is the practical part of stewardship. You have the desire because God's given you generously. You want to give generously. And now comes the readiness. Um, there's a kind of a priority. In the past couple weeks, we've talked about priority. Priority with your time. Time with God first, then with your family, leading your family in the Lord. Then time in ministry with the lost people around you and in the church. With the talents, it looked the same way. You give God yourself, and he gives you these talents. You use them for the glory of God and the lost world and the church, serving where you can, leveraging those opportunities. The same thing for financial stewardship. 10% off the top of that foundation. It's an act of worship that says, God, I trust you. Joyfully, financially, sacrificially, I'm giving to you regularly as an act of worship. And then God says, okay, see to your family needs. I've provided you money. Don't live in a cardboard box, right? Put a house over your family's head. Pay for the groceries. Get life insurance, right? Um, put gas in your car. Put clothing on your children, right? The needs. Jesus wants you to take care of your financial needs, and then he says this, I was generous to you, so be generous among your family. Husbands, take your wives out on dates. This is good generosity and a good stewardship use of money. Take your wife on a date. Be generous with your kids every now and again. Just give them something because. Doesn't have to be expensive. Just surprise them with something. God wants you to be generous and demonstrate it in your own family. Well, these are good things. And then, after you've been meeting your needs and giving generously to God and giving generously to your family, then you give generously to the community and to the church above and beyond your tithe. You would have money set aside for um, a gift to someone who needs something, a special offering we take to meet the needs of those that 
um, need crisis care kits in the tornado-stricken alleys, right? You want to have money set aside in your budget for those kinds of things above and beyond. So you've got the tithe, which is the 10%, the base that you start at. And then you meet your needs because God's provided for those. And you're generous with your family because God loves you and is generous to his family. Therefore, you model that by being generous to your family. Then what's left over is God's. How do you spend it? Well, you're generous to the lost people around you. You're generous in your church. You make sure needs are met when you know about them. Maybe you have a neighbor who needs food, or maybe you have a family who can't afford shoes, or a single mom who needs car repairs. But if you do not steward your money well, then you cannot meet those needs. Online, um, not right now, but tomorrow, I will post this message. Um, we've got a little place on our website, KTN. NAZ.org, and you can click on the little sermons tab, and it will bring up a little thing that you can listen to the message. Now, um, next to the little, you click on the financial stewardship message, it will pop up a box, and it will play the message for you. Most of you are technically savvy enough to know what I'm talking about. In that window, it will say, download documents, or something similar. I have got a multi-page PDF compilation of resources for you and your family. Because frankly, when we're talking about stewardship, it's all well and great when you hear this message and you're like, yeah, I'm going to be a good steward. This is really, I know I need to manage my money better. Then you walk out those doors and you have no idea how to do it. The reality is you have the desire, but you don't know how to make it work. You're not even sure where your money's going half the time. You know you have more than enough, but at the end of the month, you're always running dry. So what's happening to that money? So I've got some resources for you that hopefully you will find useful. One of them is a document that is a spending tracker. It's like five pages long. It's got every category under the sun. I'm not even making this up. You're talking about do you spend money on shoes and clothing, um, insurance needs are broken down by category, housing needs, cleaning chemicals, everything that you could possibly purchase or spend money on is categorized. And so for a month, don't change your spending habits. Just note what you're spending in each of those categories. Total it all up at the end of the month and see where your money is going. The first step in stewardship is just understanding what you're spending and where you're spending it. There's another document in here. It's a budget planning sheet. So after you've gone through all of that knowing where your money is going, and you know how much money you have coming in and now how much is going out, where can you trim? Where is the bleeding occurring? Where can you put a tourniquet on wasteful spending, right? And how can you put that money back into kingdom focuses? So the budget planner will help you with that. Um, there's also a few articles to give you some insights and some more scriptures to read about stewardship in your family. Some of the difficult circumstances that America runs across is maybe one spouse is good with tithing and the other spouse is not. How do you honor God in a situation like that? Some article on there that was just really great. What about teaching your children financial stewardship? Don't wait till they go to college. It won't work. <laughs> okay? Um, product of that. It's, you know, you have to learn the hard way at that point, and it takes a while to recover. Um, set your children up well by teaching them from the day they are born, okay, about financial stewardship. Sit down and do the spending tracker with them. Involve them in the discussions of money in your family. If you give them an allowance, help them see that there's a piggy bank for God and a piggy bank for spending and a piggy bank for saving. 
and spending money. They can do whatever they want with because it's the money that God was generous and they said, yes, enjoy the money, have some fun. God's money off the top. Saving money for those things that they need to save for, like birthday gifts, big things they want to buy if they're older, maybe their own clothing or electronic devices. Make them understand financial stewardship from a young age. Got resources like that for you available. It's just one document, PDF. Download it, read it, use it in whatever way that you can to help take control of your finances. Because if you do not take your finances under the reign of Scripture and the Holy Spirit, they will run you right away from God and kingdom purposes. And I think we've all been there if we were honest in our own hearts. We've all let money run our lives at some point. And we want God to be in charge of our life, not money. And that's where we want to be. Financial stewardship is a matter of devotion, not dollars. Loving, trusting God more than loving and trusting your income. Jesus was ultimately generous towards you and calls you to live a same lifestyle. Being wise with your finances, prepared so that when the desire arises, you can give generously. So here's what God's word says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that in according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, might have the strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and know that the love of God surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all out generations, forever and ever. Amen. This means that God is generous to you, he is alive and active in you and wants to be generous through you. Are you all willing to be prepared to be generous for Jesus in your life, in your family, in your community, with your finances, with your possessions, open-handed, knowing that he's already given you the riches of eternal life. Everything else is a shadow. You can't take it with you, so leverage it for kingdom gain. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks this morning that you um, have spoken to us from your word, that your word is clear and abundant. You are generous. You're a giver, not a taker. And Lord, we get to be the ones that take. We partake in your blood. We partake in your grace and your forgiveness, and you pour it out on us without question, time and time again, loving us continuously, generous towards us continuously. Lord, mold us this morning. Make us in your image of generosity, so that when the needs arise around us, we don't go, man, I wish I could help you. But we can say, the Lord has blessed me. Let me bless you in the name of the Lord because he loves you. And let me tell you how much he loves you. Father, we pray for opportunities to be generous, opportunities to be good stewards, not just with our finances, but with everything. We ask that you'd strengthen our faith in you this morning so that we hold open-handed all the things that you've given us, and we hold closed-handed to our heart 
you and you alone. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Quoting scripture here, the point is this. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency and contentment in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely, and his righteousness endures forever. God's word to you today, he is generous. Go and likewise be generous. Amen? Amen. Amen.